welcome to Destiny. Now here's your host, Cliff Dunning. We've had Native Americans on Destiny. We've had them on Earth Ancients. And their insight is paramount when it comes to understanding their traditions, uh, their ancient wisdom traditions of the United States and other parts of the Americas. And it's also important to remember that the native shaman, and in the Maya case, those are the day keepers, were the ones who reported on their visions, their vision quests when they used psychedelic, psychedelic mushrooms, psychedelic plants. In Peru, it's ayahuasca, which has probably been used for thousands of years. Although we don't know it, we don't have the documentation to to uh, confirm that. But it, it does seem like it's been used for quite a long time. And this, as we know, is a path to growth. It's I think it's a path to evolution. And even in uh, Graham Hancock's book, Visionary, when Graham was on the program uh, last year, he believed that the shamans actually use this to promote growth. Today, Destiny focuses on the traditional use of psychedelics down through the ages, how this information was passed on from elder to younger people, to the community at large, or to the tribe, and why psychedelics are a key to our growth, evolutionary growth, spiritual growth, personal growth. Those of us in the United States and the United States being a very young country, don't have the advantage of societies, Native American and other older cultures of elder wisdom. And our wisdom comes from reading. It comes from perhaps a family member or a friend who's older or, or wiser, who's been around for a while. But in the past, we looked to our elders to pass on uh, vital information. We don't really have that in the United States. We don't really have a, a developed sense of elders. We, we see it in the Asian communities where elders are, are uh, sanctified. They are really thought of as an important part of society. In the United States, when you get older, <laughs> in many ways, unfortunately, you're forgotten. And I'm hoping this is a trend that is changing because I'm getting older. <laughs> no, that's not it. It's, it's important to follow. Uh, it's important to hear from our elders in their experience, in what they've experienced and how they can pass that information on to us. Today, uh, my guest has actually collected data from a number of what he calls psychedelic elders. These are people who are in the medical profession, who are in, who are activists, who are creative writers, producers, filmmakers, and philosophers who have been actively using psychedelics for many, many, many years. And he has written, my guest today has written a book on their wisdom. He's calling this book Psychedelic Wisdom, the Astounding Rewards of Mind-Altering Substances. What a fascinating title. It's so funny. When I, I read this uh, title, 
rewards of <laughs> of uh, mind altering substances. I was like, wow, that's a lot of uh, data to talk about. We would not rejoice this uh, a few years ago. In fact, that title would be rejected by a lot of publishers. But now, today, we understand that psychedelics are a very, very important part of Native culture and also growing in the Western cultures as well. We're, we're seeing more and more people. We've had Rick Strassman on the program who did the DMT studies. The benefits of using psychedelics under controlled conditions. This is not just dropping DMT, dropping LSD, dropping and using ayahuasca randomly. I think uh, over the past uh, year, the guests that I've had on this program who are talking about psychedelics uh, emphasize the, the aspect of using them in a controlled environment. Many times that means somebody like a therapist, like a physician, like a, uh, a leader who has uh, a good understanding of how people react to the various uh, psychedelics. Uh, the, that individual needs to be in the room, in the, in the uh, space, as you are experiencing psychedelics. So, and today when we hear the term psychedelic elder, this is really critical because one of the big things that the Maya do is go on what they call vision quest, where they take a mushroom and uh, set an intention with the, with the shaman who is sitting in with them. And this is also noted in the Navajo and other Native uh, American uh, Indian tribes. And so when you do that, you set an intention and you have a guide and you have this wisdom keeper working with you so that you have a, the best possible experience. So the this book, Psychedelic Wisdom, is really, really a critical step in getting elders to present their experience. And, and in this book, it's fascinating to hear that a lot of these elders explain in great detail the experience they had, how it felt, what they came away with, and more importantly, how this information influenced their life. And you're going to hear this interview uh, today. You're going to hear my guest, Dr. Richard Miller, tell us why it's important uh, for so many reasons, but most importantly, how it evolves us as a culture how it takes us and shifts us out of their out of our mundane iPhones, internet, TV watching existence and helps us uh, get through it's a, it can be a therapeutic tool gets helps us get through crises uh, it's great for it's amazing for creativity and and also what is next for us as a, as a species what are we looking at what are we going to do? And can you imagine sitting in a controlled environment comfortably taking a hit of ayahuasca or LSD or DMT and having the intent of wanting, of wanting to know what is next for you on this journey, physically, physically mentally, and spiritually? What is next for you? Just the thought of that is, is wonderful. And I write a little bit about this in my book, Cannabis and Sexual Ecstasy for Men. I write about this this use of this wonderful plant medicine 
because it delivers so much information, so much pleasure, and so much data. And a lot of the data we get isn't remembered because it's pushed in to the experience, but it comes out and we feel it and we feel better. When we use psychedelics, this is a huge step up. <laughs> I mean, you can use various strains of cannabis that are profoundly strong and, and also deliver experiences that are similar, but cannabis does not deliver anything like ayahuasca. And we've heard from Graham Hancock on just how powerful those experiences are. So some of the elders that I encountered were people like Terrence McKenna, Timothy Leary, Tim Leary, and and some others that I, I can't quite remember right now. But in some cases, uh, when we were speaking or when, when I was um, working with uh, Native Americans in these conferences that I produced, their message was consider these as a step forward. Consider these psychedelics as, as a step forward. And this is that's a really important note to consider. I have a short interview by Tim Leary that was done in like 1970. And he's talking here about what LSD is all about. The interviewer is trying to suggest certain things to him. You can hear him reply. But this is um, this is Tim Leary. I actually uh, traveled with him in the number of conferences, the Whole Life Expo series in the late 19, in the early 1990s, and he filled auditoriums simply because you know he actually promoted the use of psychedelics at a time when it was thought of not only uh, being illegal, but as uh, being a dangerous, dangerous drug. So have a, have a quick listen. Dr. Leary, how do you evaluate your influence on the increase in the use of hallucinogenic drugs by college students? Well, I want to make it clear that I didn't invent LSD. Uh, God made LSD, the evolutionary process. LSD has been used uh, in its plant form for thousands of years. Uh, nor have I been a uh, pusher or a uh, <laughs> advocate of LSD. I've been in the position of a prophet who's been pointing out to his fellow man that this was going to happen. Seven, six, five years ago, uh, several of us from Harvard went down to Washington. We told the FDA, hey, listen. There's going to be an LSD boom. It can't be stopped. It's going to be used. It's uh, going to take over. You better be ready for it. Then uh, I'm in the unfortunate position of Cassandra, who, when uh, the uh, hurricane uh, uh, occurs, is blamed for it. Uh, far from telling people they should take LSD, my message to young people is, uh, since you're going to take it anyway, uh, be careful when you take it. Take it for the right reasons. Take it in a sense of... Um, seriousness and take it uh, uh, well prepared and uh, don't take it unless uh, you know what you're getting into. Do your feelings along these lines include other drugs as well as LSD, marijuana, heroin, uh, mescaline? Well, uh, there are two types of drugs. There are the down drugs, the narcotic uh, drugs that put you in a stupor, of which heroin, uh, the opiate derivatives, and alcohol are the uh, prime offenders. And of course, the tranquilizers and barbiturates also take you down. 
person, there is a large uh, armamentarian of up drugs, of up experiences, uh, of which marijuana is the mildest, uh, going through mescaline, peyote, LSD. But I must uh, point out the LSD is already uh, somewhat old hat. There are now uh, currently available in certain American cities uh, and in certain chemical laboratories drugs more powerful, which last longer than LSD. This is just the beginning of a uh, scientific and psychological uh, breakthrough, which can't be stopped by law. Now, don't you feel that it's, uh, it's wrong to encourage the use of these illegal drugs by college students? Uh, this is, uh, in effect, isn't it, encouraging the breaking of a law? Well, I never tell anyone what to do with their body, because what we're talking about here is the first and last frontier freedom, my body. Now, who touches my body? or what touches my body, or what goes into my body, that's the last and first uh, frontier of my, uh, my divinity. And I have to say to Caesar, as every religious spokesman has done for the last few thousand years, Caesar, I render unto you what belongs to you out there, in the highways and the byways, and the weapons and the banks. But I reserve my right to do within my own body what uh, feels right to me. There can be no laws about what goes on inside a person's body. And I'm engaged in several court cases right now uh, testing the constitutionality of these laws which tell you what you can put in your body. The marijuana laws are clearly against the Constitution, against the ancient traditions of mankind. The laws against LSD uh, will not stand up. <laughs> what you can do, you can put labels on the package. And we're all in favor of the FDA and the uh, federal government putting labels on the package. If I want to kill myself quickly with uh, cyanide or slowly with cigarettes, fine. Let the government tell me that. Uh, let the government put on the marijuana package uh, the scientific evidence about marijuana. Let the government put on the booze bottle what booze does for you uh, if they want to uh, be concerned with public health. But they cannot pass laws and maintain laws which govern what uh, people are going to do, particularly something pleasant and something revelatory and something education like LSD. Why, is there, why are 10 million Americans smoking marijuana today? I mean, these are not criminals, they're not dope fiends. Matter of fact, they come from your best colleges and uh, they're your most effective people. The latest statistic is that 70% of the freshman class at Harvard smoke marijuana. Now, that's my old alma mater and I don't want to boast, but uh, <laughs> that's a sign of the times. You just can't stop uh, intelligent, thoughtful people from doing something that feels good and right to them. Tim Leary, Terrence McKenna, Ram Das, and others of the uh, 60s and into the 70s were trailblazers. They sacrificed their reputations, their uh, existence, actually, uh, by promoting psychedelics at a time when there were so many laws against it that if you were caught with LSD, you were thrown in jail. It's still illegal in the United States today. LSD is still illegal. And so we still got a ways to go. We still have, we have to consider the benefits of using uh, these psychedelics as a culture. And we're just not there yet. We're just not there. So... My guest today is Dr. Richard Miller. He's a clinical psychologist, and his book is Psychedelic Wisdom, The Astounding Rewards of Mind-Altering Substances.
We've had a number of experts on the program talking about psych- psychedelics, uh, from Graham Hancock to Terrence McKenna and, and uh, many people in, in between. And today we have another expert who has actually come out with a new book called Psychedelic Wisdom, The Astounding Rewards of Mind-Altering Substances. And I got to say, I like that title. It's almost uh, scary because a few years ago, to say anything like rewards for mind-altering substances would have gotten you in trouble. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I'm I'm having uh, my guest today, who, by the way, is Dr. Richard Miller, on the program because he this book is unique in, in many, many ways. Let me talk to you quickly. Let me give you some information on uh, uh, Richard Miller. He is a, uh, a clinical psychologist with more than 60 years of practice. He's the founder and internationally acclaimed co- uh, uh, with the Koch Enders, the, the, this uh, institution called Koch Enders Alcohol and Drug Program, which I've heard about. And uh, he's north of me. He's in a place called Fort Bragg. I'm here in San Francisco, and I love Fort Bragg. Uh, I go there after I see my son in Willits, and it's a it's a peaceful it's a peaceful place. But we want to get into this book today because he is talking about a phenomenon which he coins elders, psychedelic elders, and this is really critical right now, given that we have so few voices left to us who can talk to us about uh, psychedelics. So, hey, Richard, welcome to Destiny. Great to have you on the program. Thank you very much. What uh, inspired you to to coin the term psychedelic elders? Well, the story goes back a bit, Cliff. You see, the public has been receiving massive amounts of disinformation, wrong information, misguided information, and in some cases, purposefully misleading information about psychedelics for over 50 years. This is a legacy of a man named Harry Anslinger, who in 1935 was appointed as the first chief of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. And Harry Anslinger was a zealous racist And he used the Federal Bureau of Narcotics to go after people of color. He went after Hispanic people and arrested them in massive numbers for marijuana. He went after uh, Asian people and arrested them for opium. He went after black people and arrested them for cocaine. And uh, he went on a worldwide campaign to make various uh, drugs, and then medicinals illegal, such as the psychedelics. And so the government has continued that legacy. And in 1967, when LSD was made illegal, the government upped the campaign with more disinformation. We we read things in the paper about people jumping out of buildings on LSD getting blind from looking at the sun on LSD. I mean, everything bad that could happen, hair growing on the palm of your hands from LSD. They made it real scary. They made it scary, didn't they? They made (laughs) it scary not only for us, Cliff, but they made it scary for the entire world. Yeah. And so I felt that it was time to present to the public 
the other side of the story, and I thought one of the better ways to do it was to show the public that prominent elders, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s, who were prominent citizens, scientists, psychiatrists, psychologists, educators, good citizens, family people, good fathers, good mothers, good citizens, had been using psychedelics under the table, sub rosa, for up to 50 years because of the fact that they were illegal. But these courageous people were doing self-experimentation. And I thought if the public could see that these elders had been using these psychedelics with with positive benefit, it would be very helpful to the American public, and maybe it would contribute towards turning the tide and making more and more of these substances legal rather than illegal. Yeah, I like that. Um, would you say that you are uh, one of the psychedelic elders, Richard? Have you consumed ayahuasca? I, you're probably, I think you're in your book, you're, you're, uh, you say you're 82. Uh, the book came out, I guess, last year. So uh, were you were you experimenting with these psychedelics? I am one of the elders that's uh, written about in the book, Cliff. That's correct. Yeah. And I'm I'm now uh, almost 84. Okay. And uh, I have experimented, uh, self-experimented uh, scientifically uh, for my own personal benefit and for whatever I could add to the literature with almost all of the psychedelics that are available. I've taken ayahuasca, MDMA, psilocybin, um, LSD, 5-MeO-DMT, peyote, mescaline, yeah. um, uh, ketamine. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You interviewed Dennis McKenna, who I uh, enjoy and I know. And I was surprised to, to, to read that he's done uh, ayahuasca like he said something like a thousand times. I can't believe it. I was like, Jesus Christ, where do you have the time? But he was very specific about going to uh, what he calls the set and setting uh, uh, down, I guess, in Peru in the Amazon jungle to to do these uh, these trips. I guess you could call them. What, in your opinion, Richard, is the uh, the guiding force of using? Psychedelics. I mean, I, I, I'd like to get your opinion, and then I want to get into some specific people that you interviewed in your book. What What do you mean when you say guiding force, Cliff? Give me a little more. Uh, in other words, uh, I'm uh, I missed the the uh, Tim Larry's. Uh, get, I think I can't remember what his quote was. Get high, get free. turn on, tune in, and drop out. Thank you. I was the program director for Whole Life Expo here in San Francisco for years, and we used to travel with Tim Leary and uh, Terrence McKenna. And Leary was – they're both for fabulous people, but um, it was more uh, Terrence or Terry McKenna that explore, uh, explored the dimensions of these psychedelics. And in that period – this is like 1997 or eight. He at that time was talking about the great benefits of 
these different entities that would come through and tell him about his life, tell him about what was happening to the, to the earth. And it was so amazing how he explained it. I mean, he, he really influenced and he continues to influence a lot of people today with his, uh, uh, revelations of what the potential is by using these psychedelics. And my question to you is, uh, uh, Richard is what do you think the benefits are? What, what is the, what are, are the healing benefits? Why do people need to consider psychedelics for their own personal evolution? That's, that's how I'll phrase it. Okay. Well, what we have here, Cliff, is we have substances which can be used both recreationally as well as medicinally. Mm -hmm. And that causes a lot of confusion for people. And what is the difference between using the same substance recreationally and using it medicinally? The difference is that when you use the substance recreationally, you're going to take the substance and you're going to go who knows where, to a rock concert? out in nature, to the beach, with your girlfriend or boyfriend or partner, and you're going to engage in some activity, and whatever the particular substance brings to you, you're going to deal with it, but your mindset is that you're out to have fun and have a recreational experience, and that is typically what will happen. Mm -hmm. When you take the exact same substance medicinally, you're doing it with a specific protocol, and you mentioned part of the protocol that was, you're quoting Den my dear friend Dennis McKenna, when you use the word set and setting. Part of the protocol, when you take a, have a, an experience, let's say with, uh, with LSD, you'll meet with a person that's called a guide, and the guide will be either will be professionally trained as a guide, and it may be a doctoral level person such as a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but not necessarily. Mm. The, you will discuss what your intention is. Right. Why are you taking this? What are you hoping to achieve? What are you looking for? And the looking for can be one of various things, Cliff. You can be looking for healing of trauma, of psychological injury, of difficulties in your life, of something that you want to deal with on the emotional plane. You might also be looking for creativity. You're working on a specific project in architecture, in science, in the laboratory, in technology, and you want to go further into that area while you're on the experience. So together you set what the intention is for the experience. Then the next day, you ingest the material and you delve into your psyche with the material and you have the guide there in case you're needing assistance. Mm -hmm. Then on the third day, you do what's called integration. You go over what you learned and you continue that integration on into the future. Now, getting back to the experience, if 
what you're looking for during that day of the experience of the material is psychological, or even if it's not, you're liable to open up a box in your psyche that has demons in it, because we all have material in our past that's unpleasant, whether it's really traumatic or simply painful. But stuff is often there. And these psychedelic medicines can unlock those doors and let the material out. When you're using these materials as a medicine and you have a guide sitting next to you for the whole experience, the revelation of the demons is a positive thing because you're getting to meet the material that's been inside of you and perhaps pressing and putting pressure on you your entire life. Mm. Some kind of a psychological sense that something isn't right that needs to come out. And so what's called a bad trip when you have a professional with you becomes a good trip because you get to meet the demons, you get to work with them, you get to heal the trauma, you get to heal the injury, and you come out confident like you got a lot of work done. And furthermore, you no longer have this sort of Damocles hanging over your neck that something might pop out at any time and cause you terror. Hmm. Take that same exact experience to the other person who used the material recreationally, and they're sitting in a park or they're at a rock show or they're out on a beach, and all of a sudden these demons come out, and it can be a terrifying experience. And yes. that's, why, that's yeah. why you hear about bad trips. So you're, you're advocating uh, more of a controlled setting for today's experimenters, especially if they're new or they're novice. Uh, I mean, from what I understand, I have not consumed ayahuasca, but uh, it's so powerful that if you don't have a, 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 a well, an understanding shaman or somebody who, as you call it, is a uh, an expert in the in the field, there's all kinds of problems that can happen. Ayahuasca can unleash demons the same way that LSD can, and the same way that psilocybin can. But LSD and ayahuasca are more likely to than the others, but they all can. MDMA is not going to release demons. MDMA is more of a heart-opening empathy medicine, and it's much milder. Okay. Peyote can release demons. Yeah. Ketamine, most likely not. Yeah, I like your, uh, I I like the foundation, uh, Richard, that you are presenting, which is that uh, these are serious medicines, number one. Number two, you go into this therapy session with an intention, which is critical because you're setting your, your, your programming, your brain and, and the, uh, uh, higher levels of, of consciousness that we don't understand to, uh, begin to uh, receive this medicine. And then finally you have your guide in, in the form of a therapist or a, uh, a facilitator who's an expert in, um, working with people, uh, with this medicine. And it's not something to do lightly. So we don't consume 
these psychedelic medicines casually? I think that's an understatement. <laughs> you don't consider these are extremely powerful mind altering substances that you do not do uh, lightly by any means. Okay. And and, uh, and and the public really needs to know about that, Cliff, that you yeah. know, these are powerful and potentially wonderful, potentially healing, but emphasis on the word potential. Yeah. You have to do the right thing in order to achieve that potential. I think we need to tell people also and remind people that living in the uh, – the United States has a number of of uh, issues, that being that here on the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, are more liberal and also uh, have passed laws allowing the use of cannabis. But also, uh, I think in Oregon, and, or it might be Washington, they can now use mushrooms and they can also use other uh, psychedelics. I don't think ayahuasca is on the... On the uh, on the spectrum quite yet, but those people who live in the Midwest or in the Southern States have a real issue. Don't they, uh, they, they would probably have to do what we call, uh, and I've written a, a book on cannabis. I call them, uh, uh, cannabis tourism sessions where you actually go to a state and have a session with a professional or somebody in the know, uh, under their watch. We're living in a situation in this country right now where there are a lot of divides that you're, you're talking about, Cliff. We have divides with regard to some states are now making abortions illegal and some states have abortions that are legal. And so we might, you might call it abortion tourism, but that, <laughs> that, that I, I don't know. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? It's actually happening. You know, I mean, that's what yes. you're saying. It's actually happening. I know it's happening. I just wonder whether my terminology might be a little off-putting, abortion tourism. But we certainly have uh, 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 psychedelic medicine tourism because the city of Oakland has legalized that which comes out of the ground the city of Denver, Colorado, has done the same. I believe San Francisco just passed new laws following suit. The state of, of Oregon has legalized that which comes out of the ground. So we're, we're seeing, and there are many other states are considering the same thing. Mm -hmm. But as you're pointing out, there are other states where it's illegal and a person could get in a lot of trouble. And of course, LSD is still illegal in every state in the union because even the states that are legalizing certain things that come out of the ground have yet to legalize that which comes out of the laboratory because we've got this kind of weird bifurcation that somehow things that come out of the ground are somehow safer or better than things that come out of the laboratory. I think it's ridiculous, by the way. It's a ridiculous uh, uh, differentiation. Yeah. In, in your book, you actually uh, have some excerpts from the Nixon tapes that were he didn't think would ever get out. And he's actually uh, angry at uh, certain uh, individuals who are promoting uh, psychedelics. This is obviously during his term as president of the United States. But the government has always been kind of anti-drug. Uh, even today, uh, Biden's having a problem legalizing cannabis federally. And here we are now that we've 
it's been legal in California and uh, uh, now in parts of uh, northern United States. We're beginning to see just how beneficial this uh, plant medicine is in terms of wellness, healing, and so forth. And so it, it would behoove him uh, to, to legalize it federally so that these dispensaries can get uh, banking and uh, loans and they can grow their business rather than suppressing them uh, along the way. Well, how, how do you feel about that? When people get into power, it appears that something changes in their psyche and they begin to believe that they know better what's good for the public than the public knows themselves. <laughs> exactly. They furthermore start to believe that controlling the public is one of the most important things that they can do. And religion has always had a strong place in this country, going way back to the founding of the country. And religion attempts to affect the thinking of the politicians. And many of the politicians are religious people themselves. And religion also wants to control people. One of the ways religion controls people is in telling them that there's an afterlife and there are two different areas that you go to in the afterlife. You either go to heaven if you're a good person or you go to hell if you're a bad person. Now, all of us know that we've done something wrong in our lives. Nobody is perfect. So therefore, religion has a lot of people afraid of death. And they therefore try to do what the religious teachers tell them to do while they're alive so that they don't go to hell. The government does the exact same thing with the laws. And so these Congress people and, and, and senators are attempting to control the American public with their laws, and they're very much afraid that these psychedelics might get people thinking, and they might get thinking people thinking in different ways than they ordinarily think. And who knows? They might even be thinking about a new form of government, or they might even be thinking about organizing to do something about the government. I'll give you an example. In our country, we allow lobbying. In Europe, lobbying is a felony. Mm. Lobbying is really a way of bribing government officials. That's really all it is. But if the public wakes up to that, they are liable to want to do something about that. And suppose what happens is that enough people start taking psychedelics that as part of their intention, as I talked about, what is your intention when you go into taking the experience? What is your mission statement? Suppose people start thinking about politics on psychedelics and they start looking at what's going on. It's liable to wake up the sleeping masses. Yeah. That is very dangerous to the government because it would mean that the government might have to change. The other thing that goes on, Cliff, is that the government doesn't always get the best information. What they get is the best information that's being sold to them. 
So when that one man in 1935, Harry Anslinger, sold the government on the evils of marijuana, we're still dealing with the fallout. What, 80 years later? Yeah, it's crazy. It is. It really is. It's madness, Cliff. It, it's yeah. really, it's government madness. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, as a clinical psychologist, uh, I'm, uh, who, who should not be taking psychedelics? I mean, uh, there's different categories of mental health. And I, I'm, I'd like to hear from you uh, uh, about the people who should steer away from using them. That's a great question, Cliff. Because of the government's suppression of science at the highest levels of the universities in the United States and not allowing science, we have been unable to really do scientific research on certain populations that have pre-existing psychological conditions. And until we know more, about the effects of these psychedelics on the people with those pre-existing conditions, they are really not candidates for using these substances. I'm talking about people who have manic depression in their backgrounds, who have schizophrenia in their backgrounds, possibly who have obsessive compulsive, but not necessarily, we don't know. So the answer to your question really is anyone who has serious psychological issues in their background have to be extremely careful or not use them at all until we know a lot more. Yeah, this is curious, uh, Richard. I would think, and what you're saying is what everyone else I've had on this program says, is that if you have a psychological issue, deep depression, uh, schizophrenia, or whatever, steer clear of, of psychedelics because we don't understand how it works, but I would think at some point, uh, and your point is well taken, that as we begin to understand the value and the uh, chemistry and its effect on on uh, physiology, that we would be able to tailor the drug to help those with with uh, emotion um, psychological issues. You're absolutely right. And by the way, you included depression in your list. Let's not include depression in the list. There's oh. already there's already good evidence that psilocybin is very effective for depression. Okay. But what I like about your point is that the people who may need the psychedelics the most, namely the ones who have those serious conditions, are the ones that we need to be most careful with right now until we know more. But hopefully in the future, Cliff, we will be able to do exactly what you're talking about, which is to tailor the particular medicine to the particular disorder. And we may find that there is curative effects for such people as those with schizophrenia or manic depression and so on. That could well be the case. But once again, the government's going to have to loosen up and let us do the research. They're going to have to, I mean, I can't tell you how frustrating it is to be a psychologist for 60 years and have so much of that time be in an atmosphere where research, regular research, has been prohibited. I mean, Cliff, 
That's the kind of thing you expect from a totalitarian country. Exactly. You expect to hear, you know, you expect to hear in Russia or China, oh yeah, they don't allow their scientists to do certain work. It's not what you supposedly expect from the United States of America. And we need to do something about it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping my book will make a small contribution towards that. Let's talk about the book, Psychedelic Wisdom. You have interviewed scientists, uh, activists, uh, uh, different people from different walks of life. Uh, the average age is about 73. And, and each of these individuals that I saw in the book, uh, has had their own personal experience. And they're, for the most part, very positive, uh, about their, uh, relationship with psychedelics. Do you find that this is a way to evolve the hominin? species on earth which is us homo sapiens sapien is this because graham hancock in his book visionary was very specific in his belief that this is how the hunter-gatherer shaman uh would would go into these trances go into these trips and come out with a new way of looking at their life well most of us if almost all of us believe that the reality that we live in on a day-to-day basis is the reality. It's the only reality. And we go about our lives that way. Right. What's fascinating about these substances and anybody who's taken a significant dosage of these substances knows is that there are other realities. We're just not aware of them. And, you know, when, when you were a young fellow, and I was, different times, of course. Didn't you grow up believing that there were nine planets? That's what I was taught, that there were nine planets. And I was taught that there was one universe. But now we know there are many planets and there are many universes. But I can give you an even more startling uh, example. For Hundreds, if not thousands of years, people believed the earth was flat. And they went about their business believing the earth was flat. Well, it turned out the earth was round. And so what's that? What that's an example of, Cliff, particularly the earth flat and the earth round, it's as a great example of how the entire world can believe something That's totally mistaken. And really, that's what's going on with regard to these psychedelics. The United States and its campaign over 50 years have convinced the entire planet that these medicines are dangerous, that they're not of value, and furthermore, that the reality that we live in is the only reality. But when you take the psychedelics, one of the things that's so fascinating is that you get to see the other ways of looking at the world. Hmm. A complete different way of looking at the world, as well as different ways of looking at oneself. Yeah, so let me just stop you real quickly. And this is an important point you're making in, in the fact that when you are using these psychedelics, they are shifting your reality. You are not going to be in the place that you started when you're tripping, right? You're, I mean, it could be dimensional. 
We don't know, right? That's the whole thing is we don't have any equipment that we can use to test when somebody's tripping and where they're at. There's no way to seek and 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 understand just what reality they have entered. That is correct. When you yeah. take these medicines, you don't know what reality you're going to be in. Hmm. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we will return with my guest today, Dr. Richard Miller, on his new book, Psychedelic Wisdom. We'll be right back. My guest today is Dr. Richard Miller, who's written a book called Psychedelic Wisdom. Dr. Miller is creating a new class of psychedelic elders. These are people in all walks of life, professionals, doctors, lawyers, scientists, who have had experience with psychedelics and are reporting on the benefits, the importance of using psychedelics in our society today. Can you, with your intention, say, I would like a helper. I need a specialist right now. And this could be with somebody who's a, a, an artist, a creative individual. This is so, could be someone who's trying to solve a problem. This could be uh, uh, a critical life decision. Is it valid to ask for help and ask for what I call a specialist? Well, it depends on what you mean by a specialist. If you're referring to asking the person who is sitting with you, the guide for help, absolutely. If you're referring to picking up the telephone and calling an outside specialist, that's another whole matter. And there's very little data on that kind because mm. when you take a large dose of one of these psychedelic medicines, you're typically laying there uh, on a bed or on the floor or on something comfortable with your eyes closed, and there isn't a sense of reaching out. You could, but I think you're opening up you're opening up a whole new area that really hasn't had much consideration. Which I probably is, am taking it too far in the in the future, Richard. I think once we get our uh, uh, research and scientific studies done. And we can control, perhaps not control it, but set up the start a little better with the intention added with a few other things. This might be something we can consider. <laughs> well, I think it's a very interesting consideration, which is why you're under the influence of these medicines, bringing in somebody. Let's say you're you're, you're not using it for healing of emotional trauma, yeah. uh, et cetera, but you're using it for creativity. Yeah. And so what you're putting forth is, let's say I'm using it for creativity and I'm working as I have been this week uh, on the cover of my next book. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm under the influence of the material. My guide is sitting there. I say to him, would you be so kind as to call this number? This is my, uh, an artist friend. And so you call up the artist friend while you're under the influence and you might say, Hey, by the way, I just took 350 micrograms of LSD and I'm working on the cover of the book <laughs> and I want to show you a couple of colors and see what you think. That, yeah. That's what, what you bring up. But th- it doesn't have to be just with creativity. One could also call a therapist in addition to your guide if you want a specialist. Let me, let me rephrase it a little bit. I think what I meant to say is if in the beginning, you're using the intention, I want this to happen, I'm looking forward to this experience, then taking the substance. My my question to you is, can we take it one step further and say, okay, my intention is to find clarity on this problem, or my intention is to find a solution here? Is that is that valid? That is very valid. Okay. And that is something that we already do. Right. And, and, and by the way, there are some examples of it that are quite astonishing because Carl Sagan, the astronomer, his widow was allowed to reveal to the American public that he used psychedelics in his experimentation, but he was afraid to tell the public while he was alive. Hmm. Steve Jobs is known to have used uh, psychedelics in his work of founding Apple. Watson and Crick are known to have used psychedelics in their discovery of DNA. So we have examples of what you're talking about, where people dug in and sought clarity and made great discoveries. Yeah, we don't know, and I love the example that you gave just now, but we don't know uh, who in the public light is using psychedelics in the same manner that you're suggesting, but it does provide uh, mm. very powerful tools for creativity and clarity, doesn't it? It certainly does. And by the way, in addition to those scientists I mentioned, on the gossip trail, you notice that Prince Harry uh, has oh. revealed that he also used psychedelics. <laughs> in, in, in deal, dealing with his own family trauma. Yeah, I think he mentioned what he was dealing with his mother's passing. Um, I, I'm curious, you know about Rick Strassman's DMT uh, uh, trials that he did in New Mexico at that clinic. Yes. Some of the um, patients or subjects uh, that were under those uh, trials had experiences with what they called ETs, extraterrestrial entities. Um, do you think that's a valid claim that they are making, or is it more that they think they were interacting with uh, extraterrestrials? Do you think that's that's something that actually happens? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean, Terry McKenna uh, would would have these. Uh, mechanical beings inter- he would interact with them when he was on uh, ayahuasca so i was just curious if that's perhaps just uh, mind. yeah i mean that that's to- how their mind took them look i've i, I, I with, with lsd i pictured myself back in the time when we lived in caves and i saw cave people i watched the pyramids being built in egypt wow 
I watch stuff going on in the Middle <laughs> Ages, uh, but I have no way of knowing, you know, whether this is all stuff that got planted in my mind from books and movies yeah. and came out during the LSD or whether, you know, I was really, but I don't make claim to have, to go back in time. And if I see beings or mechanical things, I often have seen, you know, very unusual mechanical things uh, on these. I, I don't claim to actually be in a factory. And I, I think some of the claims are, are a bit far-fetched. They're, they're, they're dramatic. And, Correct. Uh, cin- cin- centim- cinematic as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. Very uh, much so. You brought up a very good point at the very beginning, uh, Richard, of uh, the importance of having professional guidance when you're using uh, these psychedelics. Is there a an organization that people listening to this podcast can contact to to reach out and and you know get more information on having a uh, experience? Well, you can always reach at MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, started by Rick Doblin, who, uh, <laughs> who, who wrote the forward for my book, Psychedelic Wisdom. Right. Uh, MAPS is a wonderful resource. But I want to come back to something you just said about, about the guides, uh, 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 and the sitters, if you want to call them that. It would be extremely rare for a human being to get into a private plane that they have never flown, never had a pilot's training, and just get into a plane and take off. And if they did figure out how to take off, it would be even rarer for them to know how to fly the plane. Because what we do, and I've taken pilot's training and I became a pilot. What we do when we take pilot's training is you go up with a pilot. And typically when you learn to drive a car, you go with a person who knows how to drive a car. That's basically what I'm saying about psychedelics, Cliff. When you go into these things, you want to go in with someone certainly in the beginning until you really know how to fly. Right. Once you know how to fly a plane, yes, you can fly solo. Once you know how to use the psychedelics, yes, you can fly solo. But it takes skill training. That's what it's about. And I think that's what the public needs to know. And I think those are good examples of flying a car or driving, I mean, a tra- driving a car or flying a plane. I like that example. Yeah, that's excellent. Good analogy. Let's look forward 10 years and uh, the legalization of psychedelics. Say the li- psychedelics are, are legal uh, and there's uh, clinics or there's um, businesses that have been developed that support the use of them. What do you see if you can move forward in a perfect world where psychedelics are integrated into our society? How does that evolve society? Well, I think it evolves. I love that question. I I think it evolves society in, in two ways. One is political and one is personal. The political is that I see that the world, the United States, and the world are on a collision course 
between two conflicting ideologies right now. One ideology is what I call the social Darwinists, and the other ideology is what I call the humanists. The social Darwinists basically believe in the king of the hill. The strongest is the fittest. The richest is the fittest. Those that have the most money have the most money because they're supposed to have the most money because they are the fittest in a Darwinian sense. And those that are poor and have nothing are meant to be poor and they're meant to pass away or die and there's no reason to take care of them. Just as the same as happens in the animal world when weak animals die and stronger animals live. Hmm. And that's how the social Darwinists see it. And typically social Darwinists believe in a government that's run by a dictator or an autocrat because that's the most powerful person and therefore they're meant to be the leader because the most powerful are meant to lead because that's Darwin. The humanists, on the other hand, believe that we're all human beings We're all in this together, all of us on the planet, and there is enough food, shelter, education, and medical care for everyone. And I believe these two ideologies are conflicting and conflicting and conflicting. And they're trying to have power over the United States and over the entire world. And we've yet to see who is going to win on a very personal personal level it has the psychedelics are powerful for him. i didn't say how the psychedelics were come into play in this ideology i believe that the psychedelics can influence which of these two groups the humanists or the social darwinists eventually win in my case, I'm hoping very much that the humanists win because I believe that humans are basically friendly tribal animals. We like to get along well. We like to hang out. We like to do things together, whether it's eat or play games or have sex. We just love being with each other. And we like it on an equal basis whenever possible. I think psychedelics lead us towards a more humanistic approach to the world on a personal level rather than political. If you cut the back of your arm, Cliff, a cut about this long, four inches long, what happens to it? If you do nothing, what happens to that cut? Oh, it can uh, fester or it can, you know, it can infect, get infected or whatever. Right. And if you put a little by cream on it, antibiotics and so on, What's going to happen to it? It's going to heal. But you don't know how it healed. You just know that it healed. But if you, but you couldn't explain to me how it healed. You couldn't say what, what you did with your mind or with your body in order to heal it, because we don't know how we heal such things. But, but, well, yet at the same time, Cliff, we do know how we did it. Why do I say we do know how we did it? Because we did it. We have things that go on with our bodies that appear to be out of our control. Healing a cut is an example. 
Yeah. I believe that the psychedelic medicines may well be the tool to teach us or to allow us to teach ourselves how we do certain things that right now we don't know how we do, such as healing. Because if Cliff could learn the mechanism for how he healed that cut on his arm, the next thing Cliff is likely to do is go in and heal his liver or his pancreas or his kidney or even his heart. That's what I see when you ask about the future. That's what I see as the potential. I on like the pol- that. On the political level, yeah. these medicines have the power to facilitate a more humanistic approach towards humanity. And on the personal level, these medicines have the power to facilitate massive self-healing. Wow. The book's called Psychedelic Wisdom, The Astounding Rewards of Mind-Altering Substances. My guest has been clinical psychologist, Dr. Richard Miller. I want to ask you a couple more questions. Um, It's funny because I just released a book called Cannabis and Sexual Ecstasy for Men. And in in some of the um, parts of your book, you actually say that sex is better with psychedelics. Now, I had all – I mean – you can take strong uh, strains of cannabis that mimic psychedelics, but are you suggesting LSD, uh, uh, ayahuasca, DMT are also good for that? Because that's mostly mind-focused tripping. I'm interested in, in, in what you've discovered. These medicines are mostly mind-focused because that's where they tend to lead us, because they're affecting the mind. However, if a person goes into the experience with something we talked about in this interview, namely intention, ah, right. the mission statement, suppose <laughs> the very same per- two people take LSD together and they go into it, it with the mission that we're going to make love during the the uh, experience. What they then have is what I call psychedelic sex. And what they're going to find, Cliff, is they're going to find themselves in sexual universes that they never imagined were even possible. So their their orgasms are going to be mind-blowing on multiple realities. (laughs) Their their, their orgasms are are going to be like hydrogen bombs. <laughs> wow. They're, they are going to see colors. They are going to hear sounds, and they are going to be brought into spaces that they didn't even imagine existed sexually. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. And, and by the way, I if you'd send me a copy or I'll, I'll connect you with my producer, I, I'd love to uh, interview you on my program, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, about your book. Sure. Any time. Hey, uh, Richard, this has been fun. I really appreciate your contribution to uh, greater awareness in psychedelics. I, I, there, there, this is an important uh, addition to to the the whole field that people, I mean, so many people are like, what do I do? How do I go? And this, you know, this is really good because it gives 
the perspective from these psychedelic elders, and and I appreciate that. I love that term. I I hope to see it out there more. Psychedelic elders. How can people get in touch with you? How can people learn more about your work? What's your website? The website is mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. Mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. You can find, and all of my programs are archived. They're open sourced. People can listen to them. I've done a lot of work on psychedelic medicine, just like you have. And by the way, my earlier book before this is called Psychedelic Medicine. You may have an interest in that too, Cliff, because in that book, I interview the most prominent scientists in the United States on various uh, psychedelic medicines, LSD, MDMA, ayahuasca, and psilocybin. And okay. so people people can hear in that book what the scientists say without any BS. I, I should also mention here that uh, you have a Facebook page. It's called uh, Mind Body Health Politics. So if those of you are interested on our social media side, Mind Body Health Politics. Richard, real pleasure. Continue success on this uh, new book, and I will talk to you again, definitely. Thank you. Look forward to it. Take care, Cliff. I forgot to mention that Psychedelic Wisdom, The Astounding Rewards of Mind-Altering Substances, is now available on Amazon and your local bookstore. It's been out since uh, November of last year. So it is definitely available. You know, one of the things that I forgot to mention in the introduction is the fact that the future is here. Oregon has passed laws to uh, allow people to go to what they call clinics and actually have a uh, mushroom experience. I don't think they can do DMT yet, but this is the beginning Controlled environments where you go in, you work with a professional, and you have the experience. I mean, it's so wonderful. It hasn't happened here in California, but I do believe there is legislation that is in or on the books that allows people to take psychedelics legally. Now, I don't know if that means simply mushrooms, peyote, other psychedelic mushrooms, if it means DMT, under control uh, environment, or uh, LSD. Now, if it includes LSD, that is phenomenal. Personally, I want to try ayahuasca. (laughs) I'm just at a place where I need to do it. And and, um, although, if you've heard from Graham, I mean, one of the things that is very distasteful is that there is a purging uh, experience with ayahuasca, which is not part of the DMT, LSD, or the other psychedelics. Ayahuasca is so powerful that uh, you have this purge, this immediate detox. And if you, if I, I won't spell it out too much, but it's like, it's like, uh, it's coming out one end or the other. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. It's not. I wish it wasn't that way, but I guess that the 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 deal is that the system wants to rid itself of or purge itself of impurities. And you know, it, it I've heard some people tell me that the belief is that this is the wisdom of the plant. Plant medicine is like, okay, we're going to we're going to clean you out before you 
have your experience, leading to very, very profound experiences. So, wow. Anyhow, that's that's something that I'm interested in doing. I never did LSD. LSD was introduced when I was in junior college. I had friends that were taking it. I, uh, My family life was so unstable and emotionally scattered that I was kind of afraid of taking any psychedelic drugs. And um, again, at that time, we were a bunch of kids taking LSD. That's insane. That's where the bad trips come in. That's where you're like, you know, the stories of people walking in front of trains and cars, jumping out of the windows, thinking they can fly. Uh, I mean, you know, and this is this is what we don't want. We want to have the most positive experience. And we know so much more today. Psychologically, we know that setting the program, setting the intention of what we want to work on, what we would like to experience, what our goal is, is huge. And that actually creates more positive outcome. So uh, many of you listening live in states that are basically really challenged when it comes to even considering recreational medicines. And that right now, for me, it's cannabis. And if, if you've heard Pepper Hernandez, she's in a state that's slowly becoming legal. And I think as more southern states open to this, it'll be available. But there may be resistance. And this is why we need the president, uh, President Biden, to write this into federal law that it is legal, and that people don't go to jail for growing uh, and for selling and for consuming cannabis. So, but I mean, it's a challenge. And, you know, we we live in a, a country that is deeply divided politically, but also socially. Look at the whole abortion situation. Way versus Roe was, was reversed. How terrible for women. And, uh, you know, God, I don't know what these poor gals are doing. Many of them are leaving their states. Some of them, you know, luckily there's some drugs they can take, uh, the morning after pills and so forth and so on. But still, you know, this is this is this is tough. This is a tough period right now. So anyhow, psychedelic wisdom, check it out. It is available. And um we'll continue to have guests talk about psychedelics and their importance. And I'm hoping to get somebody to come on who can actually chronicle their experience where they were talking to what Terry McKenna talked. He basically described them as um, robot entities or ETs. I'm really curious about that. (laughs) I mean, I've read books on people speaking to ETs that were on LSD and things like that. But most most of it is like, well, this is our world, and uh, welcome to it. And your world's got a lot of problems. And let me, you know, they would tell them, the experiencer, this is the list of problems you're dealing with in your in your world. So fascinating to think of. Hey, I want to mention that uh, Earth Ancients, the parent company here, is doing tours. We got a wonderful tour coming up. We're just about full. It's our Grand Egyptian Tour, May 2nd through the 14th of this year. 
And um, it's really reasonably priced. It's an experience because we do meditations, we do energy work, but that's the tip of the iceberg. We actually experience many of the temples, pyramids, and buildings that are amazing, that are thousands of years old. In many cases, they are retitling uh, these buildings as megalithic. And it's just a great time and a wonderful way to really have a wonderful experience. For more information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours, T-O-U-R-S. Check it out. I will mention we have another tour in November with Dr. Edwin Bernard. It is our ancient Maya of Tabasco and Chiapas. And this is another beauty because we are going to visit Omec land in Verahomosa. And this is the site of the La Venta Outdoor Museum, which is a collection of the most amazing megaliths that you'll ever see. Not only do we see the volcanic heads that are world famous, the altars by themselves weigh between 10 and 20 tons, and they're beautiful. How, they don't know how they're carved because they're, they're made out of volcanic rock, which is very, very difficult, with copper chisels. So there's a lot of questions there. So that tour, again, Dr. Edwin Bernard, is November 10th to the 17th, 2023. Same place, same itinerary, earthancients.com forward slash tours. Check it out. These are wonderful ways to refresh, uh, invigorate, and connect with Mother Earth. EarthAncients.com forward slash tours. All right, that's it for this program. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Richard Miller, and his book, Psychedelic Wisdom. As always, the team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone who makes this thing run. Thank you, thank you, and you guys... Yes, you do. You rock. All right, take care, be well, and we will talk to you next time.